Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, if you would please. We're looking at the topic this morning, advancing through adversity. Advancing through adversity as we continue our journey uh, through the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll begin reading in verse 4 and going down through verse 17. Uh, let me remind you also about tonight, if you're working anywhere in Vacation Bible School that is rapidly approaching, it begins uh, two weeks from today, the, the opening service that morning. Uh, if you are serving in any capacity in VBS tonight at 5 p.m. in the core, uh, tonight's service is a training service for those workers. If you are not signed up to work somewhere in VBS, where you can do the most good at this point would be by being an intercessor. Uh, even now in your quiet time each day, if you would put Vacation Bible School down and make sure that you are praying for the teachers, the workers, the children, their parents uh, every single day leading up to that. And then, of course, the week of uh, VBS. And then also immediately following this service today down in the cafe, the women's ministry is sponsoring a luncheon for the widows in our church. We want you to know that you're loved. Uh, you're not alone. Sometimes you may feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. And so this luncheon today is in uh, your honor. Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Beginning in verse 4, the writer of Hebrews says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we might share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. 
that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Father, we pray that you would open our minds, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to receive the wonderful things in your word. Lord, this is your inspired word. And I pray that we would be hearers, but we would be more than simply hearers. That we would be doers of your word. May your spirit take your word and conform us more to the image of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. According to the Open Doors website, now Open Doors is a ministry that tracks Christian persecution around the globe. And according to their website, in the modern world today, in 2019, every single month, 345 Christians are put to death simply for being a believer in Jesus Christ. 345 every single month. If we were to break it down and think about it on a On a daily basis, you can look down at your watch right now and look at the time on your watch. And by the time we we get to this same moment tomorrow, 24 hours later, 11 people will have become martyrs for Jesus Christ. One day. Also, 105 churches or church-related buildings are burned every single month. And 219 Christians are detained and imprisoned without a trial. One in nine Christians worldwide are said to experience a high level of persecution. Folks, these are monthly numbers. And the numbers are staggering. I'll never forget two years ago when Ivadi and I went to Cameroon, Africa. I was teaching theology to 26 pastors from Central Africa who had come down to the J-Life Conference Center. Now there were several of the pastors from neighboring Nigeria and in Nigeria believers in Christ are facing intense persecution. And these pastors that were with us that week, they spoke of the group, the terrorist group, Boko Haram, who were coming into their villages and persecuting Christians. And in fact, before that week was out, one of those pastors had received a call from his wife back home. 
And she was shut up inside of her house with her children because once again Boko Haram was coming into their village and she was trying to keep a very low profile and keep all the lights off and the the doors and the windows barricaded and they were just trying to be silent through the days and nights. And he was very fearful that week. Folks, you hear stories like that and it is difficult for you and I to even relate to something like that. It's no wonder that in some parts of the world, American Christians are viewed as spoiled children sitting around a lavish table in the finest of homes and we are meanwhile arguing about the most insignificant things while our brothers and sisters in the Lord around the world are literally giving their lives for the faith. Things like this are going on all around the globe even today. Now I've repeatedly been mentioning to you as we go through the book of Hebrews that the context of the book of Hebrews is a context of suffering. Suffering and persecution. The book was written primarily to Jewish believers that now because they are Christians, in the worst case scenarios, they are losing their families, they are losing their homes, they're losing their jobs, and in some instances, they are even losing their very lives. In the best case scenario, they're experiencing daily mockery for their faith. Verbal abuse from their neighbors. That's the situation that, that, that's the filter through which we need to read this book. Now what we'll see in our text this morning is that suffering can be used by God in our lives to discipline us for greater effectiveness and witness. First thing I want you to see with me this morning from verse 4 is that in your Christian struggles, you have not been tested as much as God could have allowed. He says there in verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now folks, he's not trying to diminish their suffering. He's not trying to make light of it. He's only wanting them to gain a new perspective. If they will be honest with themselves, they will have to admit that others have suffered far more than they have. Just go back to verse 3, what he says. The prime example would be Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus suffered like no one else. He was beaten and scourged and finally crucified. He shed his blood for you and me. And so in verse 3 he says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That opening word in verse 3, consider, consider him. It was a mathematical term in the Greek language. It was a mathematical term that meant to add it all up. And what he's saying is, look at the life of Jesus. Look at his example. Look at everything about him. 
add up all of the persecution that he received from the religious leaders. How about when the crowds turned away from him? Add all that up too. All of the mockery, all of the persecution, all of the scourging, those stripes that they put on him before he was crucified, the way they beat him, the way Pilate had him flogged, add up all of that. Think about every lash that he encountered on his body, that crown of thorns that they smashed down on him. And then finally what they do, they put him up on the cross. They nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. Think about all of that. The writer is saying, don't miss any of it. Add every bit of it up. So you can begin to see a little bit of the magnitude of what Jesus suffered. And then up next to him, when you lay your life, when I lay my life down alongside of his, we really don't have to encounter much, do we? That's what he wants them to see. I want you to think about yourself, even beyond Jesus. Think about what missionaries report in hard places around the globe. Many Christians got up this morning and they walked for miles upon miles in blazing heat to get to a church. Others are meeting this morning in hidden places, warehouses, basements, Even things like caves in remote parts of the world. Out in the wilderness, out in the woods. And they're meeting in places like this because they're hiding from authorities. That's what many people today are experiencing around the globe. Folks, what he's talking about here is something that is not simply locked away into the remote past centuries and centuries ago. These are things that are happening in our world today in 2019. And what will we do far too often? We'll go to Sunday school and maybe we'll complain about the sanctuary being too hot or too cold or that we didn't like a certain song or a certain point the preacher made or whatever it might be. We complain about things that our brothers and sisters in the world would love to have some of these same problems. Folks, we need to gain perspective. We've really not experienced trouble like we could have, but for the grace of God. I'll never forget a story that Brian Bounds told me on one occasion. I I, I see Linda uh, with us here this morning. Brian, Brian was somebody that in his life he would smuggle Bibles and Christian literature and even automobiles into Eastern Europe when when communism was alive and well and there was an iron curtain up. And Brian was telling me about a village that he visited on one occasion after the iron curtain had fallen. And he was visiting a pastor in in that village. Linda, I think I'm telling it right that it was Romania. But that church, that pastor in that church had been allowed to get a a little building there in the center of town. And that pastor was so proud of it. 
That night, he wanted to take Brian and show him their new church where they could worship openly and freely and without fear of persecution. It was nighttime up in the evening and there was snow and ice on the roads. And he opened the door to the church, he cut on the lights and he was proudly showing Brian everything. And Brian said, all of a sudden, here would come a family in and another family and a a woman here, a man there, a group here. And Brian said, what's going on? And he said, Brian, they have been so long without church, without this opportunity. Somebody saw the lights come on and word has begun to spread and they're coming to have church. Brian said, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to have church. We're not going to turn them away now. Things like that happen around the world. Again, it's hard for us to imagine. We don't realize how good we have. I heard somebody wisely say on one occasion, if we could put all of our troubles, all of our individual or work-related problems or family problems, if we could put a table up and there was some way to come forward and lay all of our troubles out for everybody to see and we were looking at some of what everybody else is having to go through, we would go back up to those tables and we would take our own troubles back. That's probably true. And so what he wants them to understand first of all is we've not been tested as much as we could have been. Secondly, in your Christian struggles, you are being treated as God's child. Look beginning at verse 9. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He wants them to understand that in the midst of suffering, there is one thing that they can rejoice over. They can rejoice over the fact that it is their heavenly father who is chastising them. Now the hardship itself is certainly no fun. In fact, the hardship itself is often painful. We're not masochists who delight in pain and suffering. That's not what he's saying. But the trial that you are going through, he's saying, think about it. It is something that God himself is allowing in your life at this particular time. And he is using that trial, he is using that hardship to discipline you. We find it difficult to see past the trial itself. But what we need to see is that that trial is an instrument in God's hand. And God's hand is using that to correct you and to build you up in the long run. And so that that in and of itself is an occasion for rejoicing even if you can't rejoice in the circumstance itself. 
Now we know in the ancient world, illegitimate children were not offered the benefit of an education. They were not offered an education. Likewise, illegitimate children at that time could not receive an inheritance. And so if you were illegitimate spiritual children, God would not have you in his classroom educating you through that hardship. It's sort of the principle too at work that you don't discipline somebody else's child. And so if you were not God's child, you would not be experiencing this discipline. God would not be using discipline as a rod of correction in your life if you were not His. And so the fact that God is using the rod of discipline in your life is evidence that you are God's child. So again, rejoice in that. Now let's all admit it. As a kid, did you enjoy your dad's discipline? Did you look forward to it? Boy, I didn't. My dad was a very strict disciplinarian. Hugely so. And and I don't mean this critical about him. I don't mean it in any kind of disrespectful way. If we were out in public... All my dad had to do was look over at you and you knew instantly, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to get it. And I'd try to be good. I'd think, oh, maybe if I'm good the rest of the evening while we're out, while we're over at somebody's house. Oh, if I'm real good, maybe he'll forget about it. He never forgot. (laughs) We'd get out of the car and go in the house. He'd say, boy, go to your room. I'll be there in a minute. And I knew exactly what that meant. He was a strict disciplinarian. He believed in that rod of correction, although it wasn't a rod, it was a belt. And sometimes it'd be two or three belts woven together. I'm serious. I wasn't, maybe to my loss. I, I, wasn't, I decided I wasn't going to be quite that strict. Of, I, I would discipline, but I wouldn't use that harsh of discipline. My kids have a nickname for me. In fact, I even heard it as late as yesterday. The, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. <laughs> I don't know how in the world they came up with that. But whatever your style of discipline, again, the point is the same. You discipline your own kids. Now, previous uh, generations, too, would discipline other people's kids, right? I mean, my dad would tell my teachers, if, if you need to tear him up, if he misbehaves, you tear him up. And he'd tell me, if I find out you've gotten a whipping at school, you better get ready for your whipping at home. If you do, deserved it at school, you deserve another one when you get home. And many of you know what I'm, I'm talking about. But again, for the most part, what do you do? You discipline your own kids. And folks, what's the point he's making here? Why do we think it's any different with our Heavenly Father? He disciplines His own. 
And now don't miss this point. God always gets it right. God's discipline is never too harsh. It is never too light. It is always just right. Because He's sovereign God. He's the all-wise God. As Paul says at the end of Romans 11, no one has ever been God's counselor or, or schooled him in any kind of way. His wisdom is perfect. He always gets it right. And so again, his point to them is essentially, listen, I realize you might not like what you're going through, but it is one of the ways that God uses in growing his children and disciplining his children. And so be glad that you're his child. And so be be glad that God is treating you as his child. Would you rather not be his child? I don't think so. Thirdly, in your Christian struggles, know that God is working with eternity in mind. God is working with eternity in mind. Look at verse 10 and 11. He says, for they disciplined us, that is our parents, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we might share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's one thing about discipline that seems to be a universal truth. Discipline is carried out by those who are older and are more experienced in life than we are. Parents have lived longer than their children. They've experienced a lot more. They've seen a lot more. And they're able to discipline their children from a better perspective than their child has. You know, children can sometimes think their parents are pretty dumb and then your kids get about 24, 25 years of age and all of a sudden, mom and dad have gotten really smart again. Parents discipline their kids. Again, they've got a better perspective. They've lived longer. They've experienced more. They've got more wisdom. And so a parent disciplines a child, he says in verse 10, for a short time is seen best to them. It's short because childhood is short. We grow up quickly. The children leave home quickly. The days pass by like a vapor. The days are short. And while a child is under a parent's roof, they use the best wisdom they know to carry out discipline. And the discipline isn't just for punishment's sake. It's to be corrective. To help that child, to teach that child something. So they will learn better and not do that again, hopefully. Well, what he's saying here, God has a perspective too. God is eternal. Think about that. God is eternal. God is at work in you, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. God is an all-wise heavenly Father, and He's equipping you and me for eternal life. 
And so we need to have that perspective too. What God is doing in my life or your life is not simply for now, but God is equipping you for eternity. So like your parents disciplined you, God does the same. He's equipping you. You know, we read in our Bibles, we read somebody like Joseph in the book of Genesis, or we read Daniel, and and Joseph was in prison all those years, and we might be tempted to think, you know, all those years passed. Think of all all the years of his life that just seems like it was wasted. Years that Joseph could never get back. We think of Daniel in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And we think all those years, Daniel could never get back. Wasted years. Is that right? No. They weren't wasted at all. Because God was doing things in their lives, again, for eternity. Just look at what God did through Joseph. Look at what he did through Daniel to be a blessing to their people. Those weren't wasted years. Folks, we need to understand God is not in a hurry. We we need to remember that God is not in a hurry. And so some of the hardship you're going through needs to be viewed from a longer perspective than just right now in this moment. And what is God doing through the discipline? He says here in verse 10, He's equipping you to share in His what? In His holiness. He'll say more about that later. But He's even going to say without holiness... No one will see the Lord. And so some of those trials you're going through aren't meant simply for getting you through today. Some of the trials are meant to bring about holiness in you. A richer richer reward than you can even fathom. Now notice that he says in verse 11 that God uses trials and sufferings to do all this. And, And what he's using is the image of an athlete. I know some of you go to the gym, if not daily, probably several times a week. Some of you have even been, uh, been through difficult military training. And when you think about going to the gym or you think about military training, you think of proper diet and rest and exercise and all those things put together. But what he's saying here is that God uses suffering and hardship in your life in the same way. You you see, when we go to a gym, you, you pull up in the parking lot, you park your car, you get out, and a lot of the gyms now, you pull a key fob out of your pocket and you go to the door and that fob opens the door. You go in. You work out, you come back in, you get in your car and you go home. Folks, there's not a Christian spiritual life building gym that you can pull up, park, get out and use key fob, go in the door. There's, There's not a gym like that that God has. But God does have a classroom. God has a gymnasium. He has a classroom. It's called life and the hardships of life. 
That's God's training ground in your life. That's what he's pointing out here. Now, even when you're going through physical training, you, you like the outcome, but sometimes you don't like all the sweat and effort you got to go through, but you feel better in the long run. We wish we could get those results instantly, and we can't. Same spiritually. We see somebody in life, an older Christian, and the maturity and fruitfulness in their life, and we say, man, I, I wish I could be like them right now. But it didn't happen in their life that way. It didn't happen instantly. They went through the process of hardships in their life too to get where they are today. There's an old saying, no pain, no gain. And that applies to your spiritual life. And if you run from it, you're going to miss what God wants to do in you. Well, fourthly, in your Christian struggles, be strong in the Lord. Look at what he says beginning in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. The image again is of an athlete. It's of a runner. And the runner has started the race. And the longer the race goes, you know, he started out, man, he was going strong. And his arms like this. He was pumping his arms but by the end of the marathon your arms are drooping and your knees feel weak and, and, and the danger is in that, in that fatigued way you could step off the path and if you step off the path you might have an injury so like he's saying to the athlete the athlete would need to strengthen their arms and strengthen their fortitude you need to do the same thing in your spiritual life if you're going through hardship He's saying if you're facing hardship in your life and God has you in the school of hard knocks right now, the best thing that you can do is to be strong in the Lord and grow. Sometimes people say, I I, want to give up. I'm tired. No, do just the opposite. If you're going through trials and tribulation in your Christian life and God is testing you, you know what you need to do more so than ever before? You need to grow in the Lord. You need to pray when you don't feel like praying. You need to read your Bible. When you don't feel like you're reading your Bible, you need to fellowship with other Christians. When you don't feel like doing that, don't be in the midst of your Christian race feeling worn down, beat down, and give up. But he's saying stay in the race even more. Get a a firmer grip on life. Because guess what? As you grow in the Lord, what's going to happen? You're going to find strength from the Lord to press on and finish. Be strong in the Lord. Don't use hardship as an excuse to give up. You don't see any of the saints in the Bible going through hardship. God, I quit. I give up. You don't find that in Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego. You don't find it in Joseph or any of the saints in the Bible. They grew in the Lord. And your growth in the Lord, that in and of itself is going to help you make it through that hardship. Because again, he's going to infuse you 
with his strength. Fifth, in your Christian struggles, avoid certain pitfalls. I'm just going to name these quickly before closing. But look at the quick, look at some of these pitfalls in, in verses 14 to 17. You, you could be going through a hardship and there would be division with brothers and sisters in the Lord. Secondly, there could be laxity in, in, in a relationship to your own holiness. Third, there could be bitterness. And he points out bitterness is like a cancer that spreads. And then lastly, living only for the moment. And he uses the example of Esau. Remember what Esau did? He sold his birthright for a single meal. Foolish. Esau was hungry. He came in from hunting. He was hungry. And he wanted that meal that his brother Jacob had cooked. And so because he was hungry, Jacob said, give me your birthright and I'll give you this. He said, fine, it's yours. Talk about somebody living only for the moment. That's what Esau was doing. And he's saying in your trials, you need to avoid these pitfalls. Don't look at just the moment, what's going on. Don't be bitter against God and against your brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's what some Christians do. They get mad at everybody. Mad at everybody. They know that it's a Christian. They get mad at God. They're just mad because they're going through hardship. They get bitter. They get lax. He's saying don't do any of that. That would be the improper response to adversity. In closing, you know, the Bible points out that one of these days, every effect of the fall, the fall of man in Genesis 3, every effect of the fall is going to be completely erased away. And we're going to be in that place where the Bible tells us He's making all things new. Amen? There's not going to be adversity. Redemption is going to include one day a glorified body. Not just our souls being with the Lord, a glorified body and a new heavens and a new earth. And no more pain, no more disease, no more adversity, no more struggles. That's going to happen one day. But that day is not now. Today is the day of adversity. Because we live in a fallen world. If you happen to be going through calm seas right now, rejoice and be glad. Because a storm's coming in your life. Some way, somehow, if you live long enough, a storm's co- adversity is coming in your life. Just get ready. You need to advance through that adversity for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for those right now who might be going through trials and struggles and hardship. That they would be teachable. 
that they would be submissive to you and yielded. For the one who might be angry or bitter over something going on in their lives, Lord, help them to confess that anger and bitterness and and turn away from it and turn to you. Lord, help us all to see that adversity in life is meant for our good. The Bible says you're using all things for the good of those who love you. We can believe that because we believe in the sovereignty of God. And Lord, help us to realize that what you're doing, you're not going to do by noon tomorrow. We need to realize the children of Israel were in Egypt in bondage for 430 years. It was a long time. But you did deliver them. So just because we might be in a hurry doesn't mean that you're in a hurry. Lord, help us to seek your face. And to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There may be some here today that would say, you know, Pastor, I don't think I've ever been born again. I, when, when you talk about this passage and how God works, I've never experienced God working in my life that way. I'm... I've never been redeemed. I've never been born again. I would be who the passage would describe here as an illegitimate child. I need Christ. If that's you, come forward. I'd like to pray with you. And everybody that Christ called to follow him, he called publicly. It may be that you're going through a hardship or a tribulation in your life. You just want to come and pray or right there at the pew. Just pray. Say, God, I've had the wrong attitude about this hardship. Maybe something in your family, something at work. Who knows? Whatever. God, give me a teachable spirit. Show me your ways. Help me to come out of this stronger. Maybe you need a church family. Or you can have brothers and sisters in the Lord pray for you as you're going through things. We'd like to be your church family.